both your access to your sort of intellect, your ability to think rationally, and access to your intuitive side, then you have intelligence. Welcome to Energy Matters, exploring awakening to your authentic self and finding purpose through mind, body, and soul. With your hosts, Cody Edner and David Gandelman. Brought to you by intuitivevision.net and groundedmind.com. Hello and welcome to Energy Matters. We are very excited to bring to you today teacher, intuitive, clairvoyant David Pierce. He's a, been a long time intuitive uh, practitioner and teacher over well over 30 years, probably closer to 36 some odd years. And he has lots of wisdom and experience uh, to share with us today. Uh, before we jump right into the podcast, I do want to uh, remind everybody, find us on iTunes if you haven't yet. Give us a uh, ranking, a review. We really appreciate it. It really helps us uh, in getting noticed as we're a brand new podcast. And this is, I think, our seventh episode. So thanks for being here. We're excited to, to bring this interview to you. One thing to note is we jump in to the middle of an ongoing conversation because for some strange reason, we lost about the first 10 minutes of the conversation. So we will have to have David back to share a little bit more about his youth and how he uh, got into the pursuit of intuitive and clairvoyant awareness and meditation and energy uh, work. But we jump in kind of as we start to get into the topic of uh, what is intuitive awareness? How does it work? How do we develop? Uh, I asked him a question about that, and uh, we launch right into it. And then we have a wonderful conversation for a little over an hour about intuitive development, energy awareness, and meditation. So I invite you to sit back and relax. There's some wonderful gems uh, in this conversation, some really great insights. And in the end, David uh, leaves... Uh, both uh, my co-host David Gandelman and myself speechless as he uh, ends on a pretty pretty powerful note so enjoy when when someone starts to develop that in themselves um, you mentioned the word perspective uh, it, it certainly starts to change their perception or perspective um, in the world I think they start to perhaps have an intuitive perspective or develop their intuitive uh, mind. Um, how do you, th how does that help a person in their day-to-day -day life, um, you know, getting through the world and, and managing or handling all the different things that the world throws at us? Both your access to your sort of intellect, your ability to think rationally, and access to your intuitive side, then you have intelligence. If you only have your intellect and your ability to reason, and if you make decisions based on that, you can make some really poor decisions. Mm -hmm. And if you only have your intuition without the ability to reason, you can make some really poor decisions. We actually need both mm -hmm. to be able to make really kind of mature, intelligent decisions. 
So I, I think that actually developing one's intuition um, is really a kind of a journey to maturity. It's being able to become more fully who you are and to act with more of your kind of intelligence in the world. Yeah. I, I rather think of it as becoming fully hu a human being, right? Yeah. Um, and one of the things that this, this podcast is founded on the idea of, you know, exploring how energy awareness, intuitive awareness matters in our world and how different people are kind of bringing that level of awakening to the world. And that kind of goes to uh, the idea of uh, mind, body, spirit being fully integrated or coming together. And that it sounds kind of like what you're just described when that balance happens and that maturity starts to happen, that there's some form of a, perhaps an integration of the wholeness coming together of a person. Yeah, I don't think we become fully humans, a full human being, until we really come into our bodies. Mm -hmm. That This is kind of what happens. You have these two parts of ourselves, the spirit part, the immortal part, and the body, the temporal part. And when the spirit really comes into and inhabits the body, then you have a sort of a real human being. You have that person is integrating their spiritual awareness into their physical life. And it would seem to me that's what it's sort of about. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, you talk, I mean, here's a point to spin off on because you just use this idea of being out of the body. Are we out of our body? And what's it mean to be in the body and what's what's the difference what is that point of connection or integration how would you describe it i guess well you know for myself i didn't realize how much out of my body i was until i started to learn how to ground myself and how to meditate and i don't think many of us realize how much we're sort of out of our bodies. Now, there's degrees of that. You know, when we go to sleep, we leave our bodies and we're really gone. And But when we're awake, we tend to think that we're here because we're awake. But how present are we, really? And how much of our attention is sort of scattered into the past and the future? And we're not really fully kind of here in our bodies. So... When you learn how to ground yourself, you start to have the experience of actually being in your body. You start to become familiar with it. And after a while, you start to like it. <laughs> Speak for yourself, David. <laughs> All right, I will. <laughs> I, I found that I actually valued that a lot more than what I was doing to get out of the body. So before that I got before I started meditating, I sort of explored different kind of ways of being conscious by taking various drugs. Yeah. And that was all about, you know, getting out of the body. Yeah. And and I found that being in the body was actually a lot more enjoyable and more I gained more insights that I could use in my life than any amount of hallucinogenics or any other kind of drugs that I would take. So when you use that term out of body or in body, being in the body, you're, you're kind of 
speaking about being fully present and uh, and kind of present in the moment and awake, yes, and, and aware of the energy or the what's happening, uh, maybe beyond the senses in any given Get moment. Available, yeah, in the moment. And in terms of David being out of the body, I guess the most extreme version of being out of the body or wanting to be out of the body would be suicide, right? So if someone hits a really deep level of depression and they just don't like their life, they don't like themselves and they want out and, and that very, you know, far end extreme would be suicide. What would the other extreme be of totally being in the body? Is that, would you call it like a level of self love of self acceptance of what, what does that look like? Do you, do you know anyone that looks like that? Have you had that experience of just, uh, <laughs> totally being there uh, on that opposite end of the spectrum? And the reason I ask is the, the question in that way is because when I was in college, I took this uh, Eastern religions class. It was like a three or 400 person uh, lecture hall. I was a freshman and there was this huge chalkboard and this Zen teacher who was uh, also a professor in the religion department walked up and he drew this line across the chalkboard. And on one side he wrote enlightenment and on the other side he wrote suicide. And then he put a check mark like right in the middle and he said most of us are oscillating. We're somewhere in the middle from one side to the other depending on how we feel. And I haven't thought about that in years but when you started talking about being in and out of the body that was the first memory that, that came to me. So we all know what the negative end of that spectrum looks like. So you know, what is that really positive end of the spectrum? And how do you get, you know, for anyone listening to this, how, how do you start to get there? How do you move in that direction? Well, let me say one thing about suicide. There are lots of different ways of committing suicide. Mm-hmm. We tend to think of, you know, the more uh, immediate, uh, shoot myself in the head or do something like, and then I'm dead. But I think there's also people who are committing slow suicide. And they're really doing things that they sort of know are not good for them. And it's sort of physically uh, speeding up the deterioration um, of their body. And there's kind of a slow form of suicide. Yeah, and they take 20 years or 30 years off of their lives. So in a sense, that is a kind of form yeah. of suicide. Yeah. So I think if you don't have some sense of purpose, some vision for what your life is about, then in a way, you're kind of slowly dying. And so you need to have some, some picture, some vision that inspires you to live your life that gives you some sense of purpose that that animates you. And without that, then what are you doing? Just sort of spending time waiting until your life is sort of over. Now there's a lot of different ways in which that can kind of play out from someone who is just sort of apathetic to someone who is, living a conventional life, but without really any great sense of purpose. But in, in, to answer your question, in terms of what is the opposite of a suicide, look, look the, the immediate answer that came to me was joy. Mm-hmm. Someone who is joyful is, in a way, the opposite to me of someone 
who is so in so much pain that suicide looks like a relief. Yeah. Yeah. And David, you've probably worked over the, all these years with thousands and thousands of people. Is there a theme that you see with people when it comes to this topic? Like, uh, are most people you work with more moving towards joy and they just need a push or they need some purpose or a lot of people sitting on that kind of end of depression wondering what to do with themselves? I mean, are there themes that you notice and how do you help pull people out of some level of negativity or how do you help them take a step on their path towards that side of enlightenment, towards, towards that joy that you described? Well, um, I think, you know, people are drawn to this kind of work without really being conscious of it. Um, in other words, they're not really conscious that they're being motivated to start to learn how to meditate or to develop their clairvoyance. But they are, they are literally kind of drawn to it because there's something about that practice that is going to serve them in their personal spiritual growth. So some people I've seen over the years have been attracted to explore this because it was going to help them make change in their life that they needed to make. Some other people were drawn to it because, well, I think probably you could say pretty much everybody who's drawn to it is drawn to it because they want to become more aware of themselves. And so it's that sort of seeking a way of becoming more self-aware that has led them to this practice. And... Um, that's probably the sort of the short answer. But then within that, there's a million different stories of what people are hoping to achieve. But I think it's making transitions. It's being able to heal themselves. It's being able to feel powerful in their lives. All those things sort of matter to people. And, and I've seen people achieve that through the practice, through doing it. Yeah. It is there anyone in particular, like you, you worked with them, you gave them an intuitive reading, uh, some level of healing, and they recognized something that was really holding them back, a, a moment in their life, an image, and then they just took this huge leap or this step? Like, what does that look like in your daily life as a spiritual teacher or healer or reader? Like you sit down with someone, you work with them. Do you, do you notice those shifts happening? How does that, what are the mechanics of that? For someone maybe who's listening and hasn't experienced that or wants to know what it looks like through your eyes. Well, um, I mean, that's sort of what you hope happens every reading you do. Sure. Um, and there are times when you do see it. Uh, I mean, ha that ha I mean, I guess that happens fairly frequently, really. Um, you you see someone recognize, like I was reading somebody last week. This was over Skype, and um, and I was able to see something, a sort of a pattern in her life that she kind of got. It was like an aha moment for her. And, you know, you could, you could see both in the, her energy field, but also just in the way she was responding verbally, um, 
that this a shift was happening right there and, and that she was going to be free of that repetitive pattern that had governed a sort of an area of her life. I'm having, struggling to find something specific to say to illustrate that because you asked for something yeah. more. Yeah, well, I mean, that's a, a, that happened last week. That's incredible. So, so someone sits down with you, they have a session, they have a breakthrough, and do you generally tell them they need to meditate, uh, learn some tools, continue working on themselves? Um, what, it, what is the general prescription for people to continue to take steps for themselves? Well, there is no general prescription. There is... It, it depends on the individual as to where they are, as to what you will sort of see as a good next step for them. For some people, I look at them, you know, and I go, boy, yes, this person would really benefit from learning how to meditate. Yeah. Uh, or even, you know, occasionally, well, not occasionally, quite often I'll see someone go, well, this person really would get a lot out of learning how to read. You know, they're a very capable reader, but they don't know that yet. Um, but then there are some people who, you know, they're not really, uh, ready for what we have to offer. And so I would not recommend, uh, a class. I might recommend a healing. It sounds like you have a, a perspective of trying to communicate with someone and direct them towards a next step, towards the path, uh, towards wholeness or growth. Yeah. Uh, and you know, many spiritual perspectives out there uh, seek perfection, but this sounds like it's a little different perspective than um, perfection. It's rather a path of growth and development and maybe ultimately mastery. Uh, so in that kind of uh, idea, you know, the journey is really the important thing, not the end result. Yeah. Just wondering what you you know, if that sounds right to you and, and what your thoughts are on that perspective. Yeah, well I'm not smart enough to know the end result. <laughs> first I'm and with foremost, you there. First and foremost. I don't know what the end result is for anybody. But what I can do is I can kind of see where somebody is right now. And I I get this sense of okay, this is the direction they're going in. And what I can see is this is what would help them move in that direction. But that's, and so that's is really, in a way, the arena that I work in is in that kind of focus. I don't, I don't know what the end result is. And I frankly am suspicious of people who would say, this is the end result for everybody. How do we know that? I don't know. You know? Um, so here, I'll give you an example. There's, there was a lady who wanted to get a reading from me. And so we were talking on the phone. I said, well, what, what would you want to know? You know, what are you interested in? And she said, well, I want to know when I'm going to meet my husband. And I said, well, I don't, I'm not going to tell you that. I don't know. I don't answer that kind of question. And so we chatted about that for a while. And I explained why and so on. And she told me that she got a reading from a pretty famous psychic. Um, and she'd asked the same question. This was like five years before. And the, the, this famous psychic had told her, 
His name is Joe, and you will meet him in three years' time. <laughs> All right, so she's been waiting for Joe for five years. In that time, how many men has she met that she might have been interested in, but because they weren't called Joe, she rejected them yeah. or ignored them? Yeah. How is that helpful for anybody? <laughs> Good thing the psychic didn't say his name is David. <laughs> <laughs> You would have been in real trouble. Yes, but that's true. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So so when you don't, when someone asks you a question like that, when will I meet my partner and you are not willing to answer it for them, what what is it that you do do for them? Oh, okay. So if they're still open to getting a reading from me, what I can offer them is a perspective on the process that they're going through to find the love that they want. So whenever somebody is setting out looking for wanting to create something in their life, let's say I want to find a partner who I will be happy with, who I can commit to, then they have begun a process of preparing themselves to have that. And there's all kinds of energies that they're kind of dealing with in their space to get to that place where they can have what they want. And so that's what I read is that process that they're in. Very cool. And uh, you basically help them get through some of the energy that's keeping them from taking the next step of that process. Well, I don't know. I mean, that, that, that can happen. That can happen, but I wouldn't, want to kind of guarantee that that will happen. What I do as a reader is I describe what I see. Now, very often when somebody hears that kind of clairvoyant perspective, they start to put their attention on what you're um, talking about, and you will actually see change occur as you're reading them. In other words, they're starting to heal themselves. But that doesn't always happen. Sometimes people can't really fully take it in in that moment. But later on, it may start to make some sense to them or they may start to see what you were talking about. Um, So sometimes somebody is right there, they're ready uh, they're open to change and they are very responsive, responsive to what you're saying. And then other times it may take longer for them to really um, be able to sort of take action on it. But as a reader, it's not me doing something to them. It's me reflecting back to them a sort of a neutral perspective about where they are, which then can help them see themselves more clearly as to where they are. And that is liberating. That can be very liberating Mm -hmm. because how we see ourselves and where we see ourselves is the basis of, you know, what we can do with ourselves. So to me, a reading is answering two questions. One is, who are you? And the second is, where are you? Who are you as a spirit, as a soul? And where are you on your spiritual journey? Mm. Yeah, I've had the experience of uh, readies 
you know, in the moment of the reading, whatever the communication is, uh, kind of elicits an emotional reaction. And so they, they can't really hear or grasp the whole, or yes. maybe see the vision of what is being presented, but they'll come back later, whether it's a few weeks or a few years even, and say, oh my gosh, you know, what you told me changed my life. But it took a while yeah. to get over that initial emotional reaction, whether they're, you know, angry about where they are or sad or whatever. If there's an emotional charge, uh, very often it's hard to hear that uh, higher insight. Yes, exactly. They have to, they, and that, that emotional uh, release and that processing that they're going through, it's all part of how they get to that insight. Yes. You know, so that's how, in a way, the insight becomes possible. Right. They have to go through that to get there. Yeah, exactly. And as a reader, I can't necessarily make them go through that any faster than they can, right? No, and, and, and nor should you, I don't think, really. I don't think it helps that person to try to push them uh, to grow faster. Right. You know, we just don't respond very well to that. Beautiful. So your, your journey sounds like David has very much been saying hello to people and really watching them take steps on their path and creating that space so they can. And um, just listening to you for the last half hour or so talk about all this, you know, demystifying or kind of defanging that taboo around being psychic. When I, when I hear you talk about it, it's like, oh, I want I want a reading from David. <laughs> I want, <laughs> want him to look at me and uh, help me see things. That sounds really incredible. <laughs> it's pretty cool. <laughs> I, and I found most people, they, they, they want that. They just have to get past the, uh, that taboo of what it means to be psychic and let go of that fear of being seen. Because some people, they're just afraid of, being, of someone seeing them, right? It's like... No one's yeah. ever really seen them for who they are. They've always been seen for what their body looks like, what their personality is, what their voice comes out as. And uh, there's something kind of behind all of that and deeper that when you do a reading, you touch on, you say hello to. And even if the person doesn't know what it is, there's a, they get a sense of like elation of like, wow, someone's really seeing me for who I am. I'm not this person that was just born on this date and will die on this date. I'm... I'm bigger than that. You know, I extend before and after that space. My purpose is bigger. Uh, yes. There's meaning to my life. And and I want to really know what that is. I know for me, doing meditation and energy work and all, all of this work that we're talking about, like the core of it has always been, what is the purpose? What's the meaning? What's the path? Why am I here? Like those questions have been pulling at me since I was a kid. I've always been so interested in that. And I find it amazing when I meet people who have no interest in those questions. It's almost, it's mind boggling. It's like, you know, when you like, like love football and you meet someone they're like, I hate football. You're like, how could you hate it? I love it. You know, <laughs> you don't understand like how could someone walk through life for 20, 30, 50 years and not stop and go, uh, what what the hell am I doing here? <laughs> you know, your Why first am I memories, here? <laughs> yeah, your first memory is like three or four years into life, 
right? And then all of a sudden you you weren't here and now you're here. You have no idea why you're here and you're just kind of like eating and walking around and trying to make enough money and you're supposed to get a partner and then not die every day. <laughs> my goal for the day is to stay alive and feed myself in my mouth. <laughs> and, and so many people, they walk through life and they don't stop and reflect. I just find that so incredible. And there's, it's almost like some people naturally just gravitate towards that. Like you said, since you were five years old, you were intrigued by that spirit standing over your bed. And then when you were a teenager, you were intrigued. Is that something you think you were just born with, that as a kind of a soul you already had going for you? Almost in a way that a musician, like a Beethoven, is born and it's like already coming out of them, something they come into this life with? Yeah, I, I guess so. Um... I think that um, you kind of learn that as a reader, that you see people are in this life to pursue their kind of unique purpose. And you're, as a reader, you're sort of a witness to that unfolding. Um, I, I'm a little kind of wary of using the word gift. I understand that word, and I think it's probably the right word, and that we all, in a way, come into our lives with certain gifts, certain abilities. But when it's applied to the abilities of spirit, clairvoyance, healing, those types of abilities, and we regard them as gifts, then it tends to make it inaccessible to a lot of people because they don't believe they have that gift, because they don't have a, a kind of an understanding of what that is. So I think that everyone has the, the ability, these latent abilities, and then there'll be something that sort of turns it on within them. It, for me, it happened early, let's say, but that doesn't really mean anything uh, for someone else it might happen at the end of their life I don't think it really matters mm -hmm. so when it happens it's just that it happens you know I remember talking to a guy who was dying of cancer and he said you know before I uh, mm -hmm. got cancer I, I was a real mean bastard you know and I was unkind to people and I was didn't care about anything that was sort of spiritual and I had no interest in kind of eating healthy or anything like that, but cancer changed me. And he said, you know, there are no atheists in foxholes, which is an old saying, you know, that when you are confronted with your own mortality, you'll tend to start to look for a different perspective. And so that's a sort of a, that kind of a crisis when someone finds out they're very sick and they're looking at their death will often make someone open up to the possibility that there's more to them than just this physical form. But there can be other kind of crises in people's lives that aren't as dire as, you know, a great illness. It can be you lose your job and you're faced with a crisis of what am I going to do? What, what, am I, what is my life about? That begins this spiritual growth process or perhaps a relationship or a marriage ends um, and that prompts a kind of a spiritual crisis and a series of questions. I think that all 
spiritual growth in a way comes out of a recognition that I need healing. Ultimately, when someone gets to that point in their life, regardless of when it is, they start looking for spiritual answers. They start growing spiritually. And, um, and then it kind of goes wherever it, it kind of takes them. Can I say something about being seen? Of course. You mentioned being seen. And people are afraid of being seen. And, and sometimes with good reason. So sometimes we're ashamed of something that we did, and we don't want people to see that. Uh, sometimes we have secrets. And they may be quite innocuous, but we don't want to be seen when we have a secret. Or maybe we're, we're kind of being dishonest with ourselves or dishonest with someone else, and we don't want that to be seen. So there's a lot of reasons why people are afraid of being seen that basically come down to that someone might take advantage of what they see and use it against that person. Mm. Now, as a, a reader, a clairvoyant is not in judgment of the person they're reading. They're not interested in using whatever they see against that person. And that's sort of what, in a way, someone has to, if they want a reading, they have to be willing to trust the reader mm-hmm. that they're going to see them and not use what they see against them. Right. Do you hear what I'm saying? Yeah. So, and once people realize that they can be seen, and actually the experience is immensely validating that they start to lose the fear of being seen and they are more available to it. They're more open to it. And I I, I think that it's really, this is what enables spirit to grow or to be able to come really into the body and integrate into the physical world is that validation of being seen. So on a physical level, validation is being touched. When we're touched physically, our bodies are validated and they're made to feel real. And when we're seen spiritually, it's the equivalent kind of form of validation. We realize we're real on a spiritual level. Mm-hmm. So, but we have to get through that fear. That that made me uh, makes me think of my first reading uh, oh so many years ago um, that I cannot remember anything about what was said, but I remember at the end of the reading, um, the reader asked me if I would want a healing, and I said sure. And so he kind of put his hand up and did something. But when he did that, when he touched my energy, and kind of created a movement, suddenly I felt for the first time this energy rush through my body and I saw all these flashes of colors. Mm -hmm. But in that moment, I think, you know, thinking back, part of the realization of that or the the thing that overwhelmed me of that experience was suddenly I knew I was real as Mm -hmm. a spirit. And and that was the beginning of my uh, pursuit 
and my thought at the time was, wow, I have to learn how to create this feeling uh, in my, for myself, <laughs> you know, in myself. Yeah. And, and meditation, of course, was the, um, the route to that uh, feeling. But, but that was, you know, it, it suddenly I became real when I was seen and touched in that way energetically. Yeah, that's a great way of putting it. Yeah, I had a similar experience, absolutely. Wow. Hmm. We're, we're well, going think... deep into it. Oh, sorry, go ahead, David. <laughs> well, I was to say, that's what people are looking for. Yeah. You know, uh, I remember my mother, I used to, oh, I still go over to England twice a year, and, but I would do readings over there, and, and these people would come to my mother's house, and, and she would talk with them while they were waiting for me to give them a reading. She was a very good hostess. And uh, she said one time, she said, you know, what you do for these people is you see them. That's really what it is. I said, you're right. You know, mm-hmm. they come to be seen and that's it. That's what a reading is. Yeah. And not judged. Like you say, you yeah. see them just in totality and neutrality and, and, uh, yeah. And it reminds <laughs> me of almost like in everyday life, David too, right? It's not just in a reading, but seeing someone when you're talking to them, you know, at a party at the store, when you together with friends or family and, what most people love, I found, is when you ask them about themselves, right? Like, what do you what do you love to do? What are your hobbies? What are you interested in? Where did you go to school? And it's, all of a sudden, it's because it's about them, and they get to express who they are. Like everybody loves when you ask them, you know, what what makes you tick, and it's it's in a certain way of engaging someone and and seeing them. So, uh, do you? find yourself consciously when you're out in the world, not reading, just looking at someone or talking to them and then making sure that you see them through the veil of their body, personality, through what they're going through. How do you go about doing that? Do you, do you notice anything in, in your everyday life with seeing people? Well, I guess I'm learning to do that. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm always and have always been interested in people. So I, I can people watch, no problem, you know, just sit me down in the park somewhere. I'll just be happy to watch people. I'm just fascinated by people. And sometimes that does kind of drift into reading. But um, I, I guess I'm kind of learning how to be able to say hello to someone as spirit you know, in every kind of area of my life. Um, that's what I do when I read somebody, when I'm in trance reading somebody. But it's also what I'd kind of like to be able to do to just in my interactions with my neighbors, going to the store. I'm not quite there. I mean, I'm not there uh, a lot of the time. But I'm not sure if I need to be, if I could just be friendly and kind of respectful of that person, that's probably plenty. (laughs) And so, so let's talk a little bit about relationships. (laughs) Your, your partner, uh, Anne is a psychic and a teacher as well, right? And so you must get to practice that with her seeing each other as spirit when you're both spiritual teachers, that must be a pretty cool uh, way to have a relationship. I imagine. 
Uh, I, I don't know. I've never had <laughs> You've never had that? <laughs> what is it like, David? And um, I, I guess that isn't it. What, that's probably one of the reasons that so many people are looking for love, right? They're looking for that intimate person. This, the one person, there can only be one person, the one person that will understand me, that will see me, that will love me. Is, is that, do you think that's that innate desire to be seen, to be known, is why people so badly want a relationship and tell me when I'm going to meet Joe because it didn't happen three years after you said, you know, is that, is that why people you think are so attracted to having a relation, intimate relationship? They just want to be seen. Or yeah. maybe why they get so stuck on there being the one, right? Yeah. The soulmate. I think that's, that's the, that's, that's a sort of a, uh, a trap in that we experience love really only in relationships with others. So I think we're, we're looking for the experience of being accepted for who we are and being loved for who we are. And we look for someone who can kind of do that for us. But if we think that it's only one person, then I think we can... Uh, make it difficult for ourselves because we miss out on all of the other forms of acceptance and generosity and love that we might get from all kinds of people in all kinds of situations. To tell you an extreme example of this was a fellow I read some years ago. He was a scientist. He worked at a university. And the reason he wanted a reading is he wanted me to find somebody. And okay, well, tell me, what was this? Who was this person? And it was somebody who, a woman, who walked past him. That was the only experience that he had of her, is that she walked past him. <laughs> but, yeah, I know. But that, in that moment, he felt attraction for the first time in his life. Wow. And he thought... I have to meet her again because she's the one. Yeah. And what I was sort of offering him was the different perspective. No, she's not the one, but she is the first person who you have experienced attraction with. Now that's you have woken up to this level of experience and you're going to have it more often. So you don't have to find that one person. It's being able to have that be a part of your life and find out who else are you attracted to? What are you attracted to? And letting that become more of a factor in his life because that never, that sounds very strange, but that never really was a factor in his life. He didn't make choices based on that. Wow. You know, sometimes we become attached to I feel love when I'm with this person, so I must always be with that person. No, not necessarily. It may not be possible. They may be married to someone else. <laughs> or they may not be interested in you right. or whatever it is. But the experience that you have with them is something that you're capable of more often with, you know, in your life and with other people. Beautiful. Yeah, thanks for popping my bubble. <laughs> you're still looking for the one she's out there Every, everyone out. listening to this goes who's single went, 
Thanks for popping my bubble, David. <laughs> well, I, did, I didn't mean to I'm do kidding, that. I'm I mean, kidding. Uh, but you're absolutely right. And we, so many of us fall into that, that trap of, of that feeling. And maybe part of it, just kind of reflecting on it now, sometimes has something to do with like getting enough love as well. Maybe as a child, if someone didn't get enough love from their mother or their father and they're kind of out there looking for someone to love them kind of unconditionally. And I've noticed... You know, some people who have trouble uh, kind of having love in their lives, if they have an animal like a dog who loves them unconditionally, like they totally attach to that animal because the animal loves them without judgment. And it's almost yeah. like in a way of avoiding uh, interactions with human beings where they're, they, they might not find that love without any strings attached or any judgments. Yeah. So they cling to animals that will love them. I've, I've noticed uh, I do that a lot. <laughs> well, you get love where you can find it, you know, and, and, and for some people, the experience of unconditional love that an animal gives you yeah. is very, very real and, and is really very, very important. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, that's the, the beauty of, of our relationships with animals is that experience. They give a lot to us in that way. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. So... I think they teach us about how to how to have that as well. I think you could look at it that way. Yes, yeah. absolutely, absolutely. So, yeah, so go ahead. The theme is: Can I find someone to love me like my dog? <laughs> <laughs> well, I wish you good luck with that. <laughs> and um, <laughs> David, just uh, one one more kind of question in this in this line of questioning. <laughs> <laughs> In terms of the difference between males and females, maybe what you notice in their energy or in how they are kind of growing spiritually right now in your experience of reading people, working, people teaching them, uh, do you notice more kind of women are opening up or more men? Uh, I've asked this uh, to a few people because I know the circles that you and I and Cody have all taught in, there tends to be more women than men. Do you think that's a general trend? Because, uh, for example, I went to yoga class this morning. It was uh, it was twenty women and, and two men, and I've talked to so many women so often recently who said, you know, I broke up with my partner. We were married for twenty, thirty years, and I just was growing, and he wasn't. I, I can't tell you how many times I've heard that story, uh, and I mm-hmm. almost never hear that story the other way around from a man saying, you know, I was really growing spiritually, and my wife <laughs> was just stuck. You know, so we laugh at that because it's so uncommon. Why do you think it's so common the other way? What, what do you notice about that in your experience? Oh boy, uh, it, that's a big question. Um, Hard women to listening in. are going, why, what's wrong with my husband? Tell us. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that there's, there's more permission for women mm. in this culture to, to associate themselves with intuitive activities. So we talk about female intuition, and we rarely talk about male intuition. But... You know, it's men are as intuitive as women are, but I think women have more permission to explore and operate from that uh, that level of awareness. I think as men, 
we become very identified with what we do, with our work, with our activities. And we that will just really consume us. And, and, and there's so much focus on, and I think it's much harder nowadays to provide for yourself and to provide for a family that there isn't a lot of time to focus on your attention on meditation or your kind of spiritual growth until you absolutely have to. Um, so I think men are just really very, very sort of focused on um, on their work, I think, ultimately. And, and uh, but, you know, as more and more people are replaced by machines, um, I was just talking with somebody yesterday about um, someone he knew who was sort of unemployed and finding it very difficult. And he had been a CEO, this fellow, you know, he had a quite a successful life. And then he went to start his own business and that went for a little while and then kind of fell apart. And he's now finding it very difficult to find work that he's capable of doing. Um, partly because he's now, even though he's just probably in his forties, he's too old as far as many people in that field are concerned. They want to hire young people. And so that there's, there's a lot of people who are finding it difficult to find work. As more and more automation come in, as more and more robotics and artificial intelligence take over jobs. I mean, I was heard the other day somebody describing how, you know, with, with self-driving cars, eventually the whole trucking industry could become automatic. Mm -hmm. How many people, how many millions of people find work driving and they're not going to have work anymore? I mean, I, I think there's really a, there's an amazing sort of future ahead of us. I'm not sure what you want to make of it, but it's a, it's sort of a mind-boggling thing to think that there's going to be a lot of people, and I don't know how many jobs there's going to be. Yeah, you know? and, and for the man that where masculinity and, and one's masculinity is tied to what they do, uh, this question of, of how to... Uh, how a man handles that next step and, and learns to grow within themselves really becomes a pretty pertinent question Yeah, as um, we are displaced in those ways. And yeah. certainly there's, you know, that idea that women's intuition, it, it seems to be tied to the nurturing effect and, and more to the idea of feminine. And so it seems like intuition and growth and, and inner awareness, um, isn't that attractive to man, a man or it doesn't tie into masculinity as much. And yet when you talk to someone who's out in the world creating in the business world, a man, you know, they do talk about their gut feelings and, and yeah. where they went with their gut or they followed this thing and, and they know when they do that, they're successful, but somehow that isn't tied to, you know, inner development, intuition and growth. And yet, that's totally what it is, is their intuition. 
I would agree. I was, I was talking to a cousin of mine who is a businessman in England, and and we were having this conversation about what is intuition and so forth. And he said, well, I I have to read my employees. I have to kind of know where they're at and and, and people I'm doing business with. I said, that's exactly it. You're, you're using the same ability as I'm using in a different form. Mm-hmm. And but and there are men who will start to who can sort of own that okay okay i do that i i read people but when you start to trans move that further along into a conversation about spirituality and and so forth there is this kind of uh stopping point for a lot of guys that they they just can't go there because it somehow threatens their sense of who they are as a man, mm-hmm. which is really kind of saddening. But I don't know how to get beyond that. Right. You know. Um, yeah. Eventually, perhaps they probably will. But in that moment, they're kind of. It's very hard for them to incorporate this level of sensitivity into their concept of who they are as a man, which because a man has still got to be kind of tough and it's hard to equate masculinity with vulnerability. Mm-hmm. So they seem to be mutually exclusive. And that, of course, is not true. But for many men, I think they still are kind of stuck in that picture of vulnerability is weakness. Men are, can't be weak. Right. Yeah. You know, it, it reminds me um, years ago, I was teaching a, a kind of a real beginning class. Uh, I think it was like we called it breaking the ice. And we were um, so it was a class for people who really were skeptics to come in. Right. And we were talking about intuition. And uh, this one guy in the class, he was probably uh, his late 40s or early 50s. And he was, uh, you know, real manly and he said well i don't have any intuition i think someone had drug him in and and so we the class continued and he didn't have any believe in intuition he certainly didn't have any and and as we started to describe intuition and people started to share experiences at one point you could see his his whole expression changed and his face lit up and he goes well well i have that that's just my common sense So that's what he had called his intuition and that feeling because that was a male thing, right? It's, I have good common sense. I know this based on my common sense. And it was totally this inner psychic perception that he was having. And it just, boy, when he had that realization, he totally changed. I like that. Yeah. It's a a sense that we have in common. Yeah. Yeah. It's an uncommon sense, or we think it's uncommon, but it's a common sense. It is. <laughs> exactly. Oh, cool. Yes. <laughs> so I think that's sort of the big hurdle in terms of guys, is that they have to be able to have being vulnerable. <laughs> and if they can have that, then they can really sort of access i think their kind of spiritual nature but there's just not a lot of cultural permission for you know men to be vulnerable yet it's gradually changing i think but it's slow yeah Yeah. With, with this big um explosion of meditation 
uh, mindfulness and, and just meditation that's happening in our culture, I wonder if as more men start to meditate and they turn inward and they, from that perspective, you, you do start to have some of these experiences and awarenesses then that might lead you to you know, want to explore further, you start to become more intuitive in your world in many ways. And, and it's become somewhat undeniable. And I wonder if that ultimately will help open the doors to more people, uh, men uh, in, in specifically, you know, seeking out answers to, the, to what they start to become aware of as they become meditators. So hope- yeah, I'm sure it will. Because I think it is, it is inevitable that if you meditate, you will become more self-aware. Right. It's just inevitable. And uh, <clears throat> the important thing, I think, is having some guidance in that process of becoming self-aware. Because that can be um, a little overwhelming it, 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 without some sort of helpful guidance, I think. So, for example, you know, we, we refer to growth periods, a period of transition that someone is in when they're becoming more self-aware. Now, if you don't know about that, then you're kind of a, you're a little bit more at sea. Whereas if you have that concept and you have a sense of, well, what that is, when you're in the middle of it, you go, oh, okay, I'm in a growth period. I've heard of this. And that can be enormously helpful as you go carry on, you know, whereas if you don't have that concept, then you're in the middle of this really sort of big upheaval in your space and you're feeling incredibly sort of uh, vulnerable to stuff. Um, It might cause you to sort of back away say, oh, this is too much for me. I'm going to step back here. So I think that, there is a real value to uh, people taking classes in meditation where they can get that kind of guidance. Mm -hmm. This is what's going on with you. This is what you're kind of experiencing right now. I know that for myself, that was enormously helpful um, that I could sort of come to an understanding of what I was experiencing because someone else sort of knew it. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, it seems like as someone starts to meditate and open that door, uh, inevitably they will take a step where they, they start to dismantle some uh, deeply held belief or perspective in the world. It, it just starts to maybe fall apart. And that time of growth can be very scary. Yes. Uh, and it can feel like your world is falling apart. And, and not necessarily the outside world, but that inner it's the inner world, the world of your identity, and yeah. and that guidance is needed. I think yes. oftentimes to get uh, through that that step or that phase. Yes, indeed. Uh, lest I think if if it isn't available, it it's very easy. I think for what we might call the ego or um, you know that other part of the person to kind of step back in and try to. I don't know, redefine things. Um, and then we get stuck at that point, I think. Yes. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so, David, you uh, you have a school in California. What, what is it, Walnut Creek? 
Yes, it is. Walnut Creek. It's called uh, Intuitive Intuitive Way, and it's what the yeah. website is intuitiveway.com. Is that right? That's correct. Yeah, intuitiveway.com. And so you you teach all of this training there. I'm assuming uh, clairvoyant reading, healing work, meditation tools, and you run it with your wife. That's right. Yes. How is how is that running a school like that with your partner? How does how does that play off play out as a, being someone's partner and co-teaching with them? Well, it works out well for us. Um, it is, um, you know, I think that uh, there's a, a theologian that I like. Uh, now I can't even remember his name. <laughs> Excuse me. Howard Thurman. Howard Thurman. And um, one of, uh, in, when I was reading one of his books, he, he said that a man has to answer two questions in his life. And they are, where am I going and who will go with me? And when one winter I lived by myself in this uh, converted garage in Berkeley. And that was the winter in which I kind of had to answer those questions. Where am I going? What am I going to do with my life? And who will go with me? Mm-hmm. And it's kind of important, I think, that you answer the first question first. And then, or it was for me, and then the second question. Yeah. So yeah. I, once I knew that this is what I want to do, right away I knew I wanted to do it with Anne, that she was the one who would go with me. Mm-hmm. And so... It, um, we have just had that kind of relationship where we can support each other and be honest with each other um, as we kind of live our lives together. And I am consistently find it really uh, invaluable to get her insight and I think vice versa. So I think, you know, we find each other still interesting, which is not bad after 30, 40 years. (laughs) 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 Um, And um, there's just a sort of a sense of we're traveling this sort of road together. Um, I, I, you know, I, without sounding like a complete sap, that's about as much as I can say, I guess. <laughs> it's okay to sound like a sap. <laughs> Remember, we're trying to teach uh, masculine men how to be vulnerable. As well. <laughs> but I'm not a good start for that. <laughs> I got a little tear in my eye right now. So good. <laughs> Hey, I have a I have a question, David, about yeah. something um, I read that that you had written. Um, it's kind of a quote, and uh, it, I'll just quote you. It says, "We are made free by our mastery of what is necessary for our growth," and and I love that that statement. Um, how how do we discover what's necessary for our growth? You know what it, what is? I don't know. Elaborate on that a little bit. That that's a great kind of perspective. You know, I have. 
like if you read the Stoics or different thing, it's like you might lean into the the pain or follow the resistance. You know, that's where you you go to to grow. That's kind of your your cue. But when you think of that mastery and what's necessary for our growth, what what comes to mind for you? Well, I have to be honest. That's really more of a statement by Gary Snyder than me. Oh, okay. Uh, and I, I quoted him, and that may be what you were reading. Um, but I, it struck me as being a very true statement because I can be a very lazy person, <laughs> and in and being lazy, you you can tend to try to avoid what is necessary. But when you can recognize this is what I need to do, what is necessary, and you can make friends with what is necessary rather than try to avoid it, then you automatically, I think, will find yourself growing. And it will you'll be sort of on the path, your own kind of life path. Now, recognizing what is necessary is important. Part of that is important to know the difference between what other people might think is necessary for you Mm. and what you can recognize for yourself. This is necessary for me. So recognizing necessity is really a way of coming into reality. This is what is real. And... As long when you're in touch with what is real, then you are able to um, be live in truth, if you like. So, to me, that's what that statement sort of when I read it in, in one of Gary Snyder's essays, I think it was really kind of struck home for me is that there are times, maybe every day, when you have to recognize this is what I need to do. And when you approach that with that willingness to do it and that willingness to learn, you achieve that mastery of that. You become able to do that. And in that moment of mastery, you are free. So it's so it's so tempting to think that if I can avoid doing all this stuff, I'm free. When actually you're not. You have to do what you need to do and master that, and that's how you become free. So for someone, it might mean I need to master the skills to be an excellent baseball player. For someone else, it might be I need to master this academic subject. And for me, it was I had to, and I'm continuing to learn how to master clairvoyant reading. Um, and pursuing that, to me, is the, is the way of, of sort of personal sort of liberation. Beautiful. Great. Thank you, David. Yeah. You're good. Cool. So, um, <laughs> Sorry. I think, I think that, yeah, no, that's, I think that's a really... Great place to stop. Stop unless Cody, you have any other last questions for David? No, I thought that was a, a great, great point to end on. Yeah. Um, that that's 
really perhaps ultimately what we're all trying to do is is to find that that freedom and uh i I like the way you articulated that that's awesome so thank you for being here david and spending uh time with us Uh, this has been such a pleasure thank you both been really uh a great conversation. I appreciate you uh, inviting me to be a part of it. Absolutely. And if you yeah. listen to David's last statement, if you're listening to this show, get up, get your ass off the couch and start mastering whatever it is that you're meant to master. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because it's not uh, surfing the channels. That's not what we're meant to master. <laughs> great, David. Well, thank you so much for being here. My pleasure. Thank you very yeah, much indeed. Thank you. Hey, hope you enjoyed that episode as much as we did. We could have talked to David for uh, much longer and asked many more questions, although he didn't leave us speechless there in the end, and that seemed like a great place to stop. We look forward to uh, hopefully having him back on in the future. There's a lot more questions I'd like to ask him about intuitive development and growth and awareness. We had a great time. David was... uh, wonderful guest, great sport, has a lot of great insight. If you want to find out more about David, go to their website. Uh, He and his wife run Intuitive Way, a school for uh, intuition, and they are at intuitiveway.com, and you can learn uh, how to meditate and become aware of energy and work with energy in the intuitive way. Great. See you soon. And remember, everything is energy and energy matters. You've been listening to the Energy Matters Podcast with Cody Edner and David Gandelman. Brought to you by intuitivevision.net and groundedmind.com. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or soundcloud.com.